this morning as we get started. Uh, I'm going to share with you all today what Paul thought, the Apostle Paul, what he thought about the truth of God's Word. And really, the song we just sang kind of sums up what he thought about God's Word and the truth of God's Word. He knew that God would supply what he needed. He knew that as his life transitioned in the way that it did, that uh, God had him right where he needed him, and he was willing to do whatever it was that God called him to do. That being said, you need to hold on to that thought because I have to start backwards to go forwards. I was born in 1971. Some may say one of the greatest years ever. <laughs> Some may say that. So that means I grew up in the 70s and the 80s, which combined are the two greatest decades ever, because there were great things that took place in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, we didn't have cell phones, we had pay phones, and we liked them. I'll have you know that. You needed to call somebody while you were driving, you whipped into the gas station, and you put a quarter in, or 35 cents as I got older, and you called somebody. That's how it was done. You had to memorize a phone number. You didn't just get to, to, to punch in a name. You had to know who you were calling. And when you have a limited capacity for memory like myself, there are only about 10 people you could call at any given time. But that's not why I say that. You need to know that I'm a child of the 70s and 80s to really appreciate how I start off this sermon. One of the greatest things that took place, in my humble opinion, in the 70s and 80s was a little program that came from New York live on Saturday night. Now, I don't watch it anymore because it's just not good. But back then, when it had wholesome actors like Belushi and Aykroyd, wholesome people, and they knew what they were there for, they even created a skit so they could tell the world what they were about. You may remember it. They had one tagline, we're on a mission from God. It was the Blues Brothers. Now their mission was to put the band back together. And when they would say throughout their skit, and even as they developed it into a full-blown movie, the mission was, we're going to put the band back together. We're on a mission from God. They delivered this line and they were met with less than enthusiastic reception by most people. Eyes would roll. Oh yeah, sure you are. Not that again. But they had a different mission in mind for sure. Their famous line in my opinion, summarizes Paul's ministry. And their reception to that famous line of, we're on a mission from God, it strangely relates to a pressing problem in our Christian communities today. We're hesitant to receive well people who say, we're on God's mission. When we hear someone say, I'm on a mission from God, which by the way, we've got two ladies who are halfway to Zimbabwe as of this morning. They're safely in London. They have about an eight-hour layover, so sometime later on this evening, they're going to be jumping on a plane and heading on into Johannesburg. Then they'll get on another plane and go into Harare, which is about a three-hour flight. Then they'll get on a truck, or in a truck, not on it. They'll get in a truck, and they'll drive another six or seven hours. We totaled it up with all the layovers and everything. Janet and Tammy have 52 hours of travel just to get to where they're going to encourage women at the Mashoko Christian Hospital who are having babies this next week, and just to be there with them in that time. And I think that's pretty impressive. You could say they're on a mission from God. Same thing, uh, our friends, the Williams family, they're visiting with us, and they have a lot of cool things they're doing. Um, they're on a mission 
to do things differently in our world. They're, they're taking the Word of God and they're making it available to people that we probably wouldn't ever talk to. But because they're connected with us and we're connected with them and we're praying for them and with them, that's part of their mission and we're part of that mission. But the problem is when we hear people say, I'm on a mission, we, we get uneasy. We start asking these questions in our heads. Oh, well, they, they must be critiquing me because I'm not on a mission. Or maybe they're threatening me. Maybe they're making a threat. Hey, I'm on a mission. You're, I'm not. There's something wrong with me. Maybe people, when we hear them say that they're on mission or they're on a mission or they're going on a mission trip, we often think, well, does that mean I need to change the way I'm doing things? Or are they telling us that they're pursuing a ministry role according to the gifts that God has given them or that they want to be directed toward that kind of a role? Something I looked at as I was looking at the life of Paul, nearly all of the people, godly people in the Bible, they were appointed directly by God or His messengers to a mission. From the Old Testament to the New. Abraham was given a mission. God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. And he had a mission. He had to leave the country he was in and go somewhere else. His mission was to, to trust in God. And, and so all through Scripture, we see where these people were given missions. They were given very particular and even sometimes unique uh, gifts, if you will, to fulfill those missions. We're not given those same gifts today. We're not given a, a gift of direct healing. We're not given some of those same gifts that God gave to the apostles, that, um, that He gave to, to some of these other people who went on behalf of Him. And we don't get that same way. So when someone says they're on a mission from God, we should respond with, well, tell me about it. When you meet someone and they go, hey, and you tell them what you do, and... You're like, I'm a boring engineer and I play with numbers all day. We don't say, I feel sorry for you. We say, wow, that's very interesting because that's all you can tell us because if you tell us any more, you have to kill us because it's all classified. But we get it. And when they say, well, what do you do? And they go, well, I'm a missionary. Or they say, I'm working for God. Don't be offended. Just go, hey, what are you doing? Because we're allowed to tell. See, when you're on a mission for God, you can tell everybody what that mission is. So when someone tells you that, I want you to say to them, tell me about it. Here at Huntsville Christian Church, we're on a mission from God. Thank you. Man, I was so worried that nobody was going to say that, and I would have to say it again and again. Well, since you asked, <laughs> our mission is go to win and commit to grow. You see, the problem with our mission, or any mission for that matter, is that we get a mission like that that, t that challenges us, and then we think, well, what if we don't have what it takes to carry it out? What if we don't have what we need? And that's something that Satan puts into us. It's a lie that we tell ourselves. It's that gap. It's that little wedge that Lorna referred to earlier. Yeah, we have a mission. Go. Go to win. Commit to grow. I don't know if I can handle that. You know what? That Satan, he whispers in your mind. That's not your personal mission. That's that church stuff. You don't have to do all that go to win stuff. Today, as we close out this series on truth, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. We're going to look at his life. It consisted of what I like to call two different missions. I, I look at the Apostle Paul a little bit differently because I have this really weird imagination, and those of you who know me know this is a true statement. Uh, I look at him as a double agent. Think about it. As, as we talk about this, you're going to go, wow, he's a genius. He knows Paul. He starts out, maybe not a genius, okay. 
starts out, he, he's a double agent. And I want to share with you guys what, at the end of his life, what Paul understood and thought about the truth of God's word and what he understood and thought about Jesus. Because I think it's easy for us to underestimate the influence that Paul had on the world. We kind of take him for granted. We say, oh yeah, that was Paul. He was Saul. He persecuted Christians. And then he wrote some books of the Bible and he did some good things. And, and we kind of just, just sweep it through. But the truth is, he's known worldwide as one of the greatest Christian missionaries. He inspired writings, or his inspired writings cover almost the whole New Testament. It's safe to say that he remains one of the most read authors in human history. And his abrupt turnaround from a jealous persecutor of Christians to one of Christianity's greatest proponents shaped the history of the early Christian church, in my opinion. But he wasn't always Paul. He started out Saul of Tarsus before he was the Apostle Paul. What do we know about his life prior to the meeting, meeting Christ on the road to Damascus? Do you guys know a lot about the Apostle Paul when he was Saul? We know a few things. I dug into his life, and I got to tell you, spoiler alert, the story of Paul, it's a story of redemption in Jesus Christ, and it's a testimony that no one is beyond the saving grace of the Lord. And so if you've been doing or living life in a certain way, and you're thinking, this whole Bible thing, this Jesus thing isn't for me, Saul slash Paul, secret agent Paul, he's the perfect example that redemption, uh, and a story of redemption and a testimony that no one is beyond the saving grace of our Lord. But in order to really gain the full understanding of, of this man, we have to look at his dark side. I watched Solo the other day, so I'm kind of, it's in my mind. Saul had a dark side. What he symbolized before becoming the apostle of grace it was sad. His early life, it was marked by religious zeal. But that religious zeal led him to brutal violence. That religious zeal led him to a relentless persecution of the early church. And fortunately, the later years of Paul's life show a marked difference as he lived his life for Christ and to advance the kingdom of God. He was actually born, his name was Saul, and he was born in Tarsus in Sicilia around A.D. 5. You may want to just write down A.D. 5 as the approximate year that Paul was born because that matters for what I'm going to say later on. He was born in a southeastern corner. He was southern. Southeastern corner of a place that today we call Turkey. He was of Benjamite lineage, all right, and Hebrew ancestry. His parents were Pharisees. They were fervent Jewish nationalists who adhered strictly to the law of Moses and who sought to protect their children, being Saul and his other siblings, from the contamination of the Gentiles. Anything Greek would have been despised in his household, but he could speak Greek. And it's also known that he could speak passable Latin. His household would have spoken Aramaic, which was a combination of Hebrew, um, and it was kind of a derivative of Hebrew, if you will, and the official language of Judea. His family, they were Roman citizens, and that matters later on in his life. But they viewed Jerusalem as a truly sacred and holy city. And at the age of 12-ish, Saul was sent to Palestine to learn from a, a rabbi named Gamaliel. And, and under Gamaliel, he mastered Jewish history. He mastered the Psalms. He mastered the works of the prophets. His education would continue for another five or six years, and he would learn things like how to really dissect Scripture. What he learned under Gamaliel uh, was a question-answer style of teaching known as diatribe. 
And, and it was the method used that the rabbis used to debate the finer points of the Jewish law. They would defend the law or they would use this conversation in a way to persecute those who broke the law or prosecute those who broke the law. What we also know about Saul is he went on to become a lawyer. And all signs pointed to him becoming a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the Jewish court, like kind of the the Jewish Supreme Court, if you will. It had 71 men on it, and they ruled over Jewish life and religion. And Saul was headed down that track. Saul was so good at what he did, he was zealous for his faith. And his faith did not allow for compromise. And it was the same zeal that led him down the path of what we would call today religious extremism. In Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 42, Paul delivered his defense of the gospel, or excuse me, Peter delivered his defense of the gospel of Jesus in front of the Sanhedrin. And and I want you to, you need to write that down so you can look at it later, but it's, it's in Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 42. Peter delivers his defense and delivers it to the Sanhedrin. Paul would have heard that. He would have been there listening. Gamaliel, his teacher, was present. He delivered a message afterwards to calm the council, to prevent them from actually stoning Peter. Okay? As Saul was also present at the trial of Stephen. He was present when Stephen was stoned and died. The Bible says in Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 60, it says here, Now when they heard these things, Stephen had given a testimony. He told them what was going on and what they were doing wrong and how the, what they were doing, they were headed in the wrong direction. They were stepping off the path, if you will, He says, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. (laughs) You ever been that mad? It gets better. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and stop their ears. They yelled at him and plugged their ears. That's what they're doing here. And they plugged their ears. They, they stopped their ears. And they rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And falling, oh, excuse me, I said that already. And so he fell asleep. After Stephen's death, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3 says this. And this is kind of, you need to really paint, you need to see this picture of Saul to appreciate where we're going. And Saul approved of his execution. The coats are at his feet and he's rooting them on. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Verse 2 says, Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. And verse 3, But Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women, and committed them to prison. See, Saul became determined to just eradicate Christians, to just wipe them out. He was ruthless in his pursuit. 
And he believed he was acting in the name of God. Arguably, there is no more frightening or more vicious, nothing more frightening or vicious than a religious terrorist, especially when he believes that he is, what he is doing is the will of the Lord by killing innocent people. Sorry, I just got a text message from somebody that I was encouraged to reach out to because they were struggling with some things. And it just completely threw me off because it said, hey, thank you for reaching out to me. I look forward to talking to you. Uh, it's just a moment to celebrate. It's not anything big, but I just stumbled all over the place because it popped up. Technology's great. Uh, anyway, pray for me later when I make this phone call to, to share with this young man. Um, but anyway, I reached out to him and he reached back. So we're starting something with intentionality and, and some life. The cool thing is he's like, 1,800 miles away, so I may never actually meet him, but God's going to use my big mouth to share with him, and I'm excited about that. So, back, stop, oh, quit. <laughs> um, thank you. I was just making excuses for stumbling along, and you guys turned it into something amazing. Thank you. Anyhow, Saul was determined to wipe out Christians. He was ruthless in his pursuit, but he thought he was acting in the name of God, and there's nothing more frightening than a religious terrorist, especially when what they, they're doing they believe is the will of the Lord by killing innocent people. That's what he was doing. He was a religious terrorist. In Acts 8.3, he began ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women and putting them in prison. The pivotal passage in Paul's story, though, is in Acts chapter 9, verses 1-22. through 22. And, it, and I'm going to share some of that with you, kind of my version Go back and check it out this week so you know that I'm not making this up. And it recounts Paul meeting with Jesus Christ on the road from Jerusalem to Damascus. It was a journey of about 150 miles. And they were walking. Saul was, he was angered by what he had seen. He was filled with this murderous rage against Christians. And before going on this journey to Damascus, he asked the high priest for letters to the synagogues in Damascus that would ask for permission for Saul to bring any Christians, followers of what was called the way, as they were known back then. He asked permission to bring any people who were involved in the way back to Jerusalem to put them in prison. And he was given that. He was given those letters. He had free reign to grab anybody that he thought was a follower of Jesus and drag them back and put them in prison. On the road, to, on, on traveling 150 miles, a lot can happen on a road trip. Saul is a testament for that. He's walking, he's got a group of people with him, and he's caught in this bright light. He comes down from heaven. It's so bright, it causes him to fall face down. It's blinding him. And he's face down on the ground, and he hears these words, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I love how he replies, Who are you, Lord? Yeah. And Jesus answers him directly and clearly, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, side note, this might not have been Saul's first encounter with Jesus. When you do the math, and I'm not real good at math, he was born A.D. 5. There's a chance some scholars suggest that young Saul might have known or seen Jesus and may have even actually witnessed his death. I hadn't thought about that before until I got into some of my, the outside historical studies. And we don't know that for sure, but we do know this, that from that moment... On the road to Damascus, Saul's life was turned upside down and would never be the same. This light of the Lord blinded him. As he traveled on, he had to rely on his friends to guide him the rest of the way. 
One of the unique things about this, Saul is the only one affected. They saw the light, they didn't hear the voice, but then they're, they're taking their friend on in. And he was instructed by Jesus that Saul would continue to Damascus where he would meet a man named Ananias. Ananias was a priest. Ananias was a nervous priest. God, God told him, Saul is coming, you're going to baptize Saul. Ananias was like, the same Saul? That, that Saul. And God said, yeah, that Saul. You're going to spend time with him. Ananias was concerned. He was hesitant at first to even meet Saul because he knew Saul was an evil man. But like I told you before, Saul's life is a testament that no one is outside of the grace and love and forgiveness of God. And the Lord told Ananias that Saul was a chosen instrument. He would be used to carry his name before the Gentiles. I think this is great. Who, who, did, who was Paul raised to not love? The Gentiles. <laughs> Kings and the children of Israel. And that Saul would suffer for doing so. Ananias followed the Lord's instructions. He found Saul. He laid his hands on him. He told him about his vision of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that Saul was blind for three days. And that through prayer, Saul received the Holy Spirit, regained his sight, was baptized. And this is my favorite part. Saul immediately went into the synagogues and proclaimed Jesus as the Son of God. There's a couple of things I love about this story. First off, his friends, and now they're his friends as Saul, they're out to do the same thing. They're out to provide maybe the muscle for the persecuting of these Christians. And they see this bright light. Saul gets blinded. Now he can't see. They don't hear the conversation between Saul and God. But then Saul says, hey, take me to Ananias. So they're like, okay, we're going to go check in with the priest. And so they take him to Ananias, and then Saul gets baptized. And in front of all of his friends, then he runs to the synagogue and starts teaching and proclaims Jesus as the Son of God. And at some point in that transaction, I would like to think that as they show up at the synagogue, they're like, yeah, Saul's going to lay it down for him now. And then he stands up and starts proclaiming Jesus as the Son of God. And his friends are like, what? Hold on, that's not what we talked about for the first hundred miles of the trip, Saul. <laughs> you changed it. Two things happened. The Bible says people were amazed and skeptical. Well, they were skeptical because Saul, his reputation was well known. It preceded him, if you will. Just like Ananias. Are you sure, God, this is the guy? Yeah. His reputation preceded him. The Jews thought he had come to take away the Christians, but it was very clear that Saul was on a new mission. He was indeed on a mission from God. He had, in fact, joined the way, if you will. And the neat thing about Saul, he didn't whisper. The Bible tells us that his boldness increased as the Jews living in Damascus, they were just confounded by Saul's arguments. He was trained by one of the best arguers to be a lawyer. And then God said, hey, I'm going to put you over here now. And you're going to argue these same people that my son is my son. That Jesus is the son of God. And that's one of the things I love about the book of Acts. It just confused everybody for the moment. As you read through the book of Acts, you will see Paul spent time in several different places. He spent time in Arabia. He spent time in Damascus. He spent time in Jerusalem. He spent time in Syria. He even went back to his native home in, in Cilicia. And he spent time telling people the truth of God's Word. A man who was raised 
in Old Testament traditions and, and knew the history and knew these things, which we need to know what our Old Testament says. There is no separation between the Old and New Testament. It is all the Word of God. I spoke on that a few weeks ago, and I, I believe that with everything I am. But, but here was Paul who was taught to use the Word of God one way, and God said, no, you're going to use it to proclaim my Son. Even Barnabas enlisted Paul's help to, to teach those in the church in Antioch. And as you go through, it's very interesting the Christians I mentioned earlier that were driven out of Judea, they were the same Christians because of persecution. They were driven out after, after Stephen's death. They founded this multicultural church in Antioch. And then Barnabas calls, Saul, calls Paul to come and share. See, he was part of the reason that they all fled. <laughs> and now he's coming to the, the place where they all fled to and started, or some of them fled to and started this church. And then Paul took on three missionary journeys in late A.D. 40s. He spent more time in Gentile areas than what his parents probably thought he would ever do. Paul wrote many of the New Testament books. Most people agree that he wrote Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Philemon, Ephesians, Colossians, and 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. These 13 letters, we call them epistles, they make up what we call his authorship, if you will. And they were a primary source of the New Testament. His education, his background as a Pharisee, his Roman citizenship, his unending zeal, all contributed to his success as a missionary. But not until he laid all of those credentials and traits down and submitted them to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I bring that up because we live in a city of smart people. There's a room here of smart people. I'm told that in Huntsville there are more PhDs per capita than any other city except Washington, D.C. It's what I was told. But here's the other thing I know. Much like in Saul's life, all those credentials don't mean a whole lot unless you're prepared to submit them and lay them down to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. One of the things that Paul believed about the truth of God's Word, he believed that protecting the truth of God's word was the most loving thing a person that a Christian could do. Something else I learned about Paul, which amazes me, because we hadn't even been thought of as a church, but he knew our mission. He knew the mission of Huntsville Christian Church. He believed that we should go to win others into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's in a, his whole life story after he changed over from Saul to Paul. He was committed to grow in his understanding of it and his knowledge of God's Word. He wasn't afraid to change when he was faced with the truth from God. See, he, he walked away from a lifetime of tradition and prejudices when he was confronted with the truth of God and the truth of God's Word. And Paul believed that we should stand for truth no matter what. Are you willing to follow Paul as he followed Christ? Are you willing to stand for the truth of God's word regardless of what everyone else around you chooses to do? There's so much we can learn from the life of the Apostle Paul. One of the things I like about Paul is that he was far from ordinary. He, he was just a bit off. There's hope for some of us. He was given the opportunity to do extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. 
When, when you read the stories, the shipwrecks and the, the things that he endured. So what can we learn from the life of the Apostle Paul? I had three quick things I want you to learn. First off, we can learn, like I said at the beginning, God can save anyone. Anyone. There is hope for every one of us and then some. God can save anyone. The remarkable story of Paul repeats itself. It's just every day as sinful, broken people all over the world are transformed by God's saving grace in Jesus Christ. It happens. Some of these people have done despicable things to other human beings. Some people just try to live a moral life thinking that that God will smile on them on the day of judgment. And it doesn't matter which side of that spectrum you're on, God can restore you, just like He did Paul. When we read the story of Paul, we're amazed that God would allow into heaven a religious extremist who murdered innocent women and took men to prison and punished them. You know, today we see terrorists and other criminals as unworthy of redemption. We see school shootings, we see bad things happen, and we think those people don't deserve the grace and love and peace of Jesus Christ. I think those people need it more. We see them unworthy of redemption because their crimes against humanity are just too great. They're too great for us. They are not too great for God. The story of Paul is a story that can be told today. When you look at the the early life of Paul, you think he's not worthy of a second chance. He, He held coats while somebody was brutally murdered. They threw rocks at this guy until he died. That's a bad way to go. He does he's not worthy. Yet God granted him mercy. God said, I have a job for you. The truth, and if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. The truth is that every person matters to God. From the good, decent, average person to the wicked, evil, degenerate person. There's <laughs> Ooh. I listened to a sermon a while back by a gentleman and, and his point was real simple. And it was, you matter to God. That's all that matters to me. And then you had everybody say it over and over again. They would say that. I matter to God. That's all that matters to me. Doesn't matter what you did yesterday. I matter to God. That's all that matters to me. It's right there. In the life of Paul. It's right there as we see it. Doesn't matter if you were a good, decent, average person or just a wicked person. Our mission is to go to win. But you need to know, as we go to win, we're not the ones saving souls. Only God can save a soul. We're the seed planters here. We are called to walk along others as God transforms their lives. That's what we do. And the second thing we learn from the life of Paul is that anyone can be a humble, powerful witness for Jesus Christ. You just have to be willing to tell someone else what He's done in your life. In my, in my opinion, no other person in the Bible demonstrated more humility while sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ than Paul. Acts 20 verse 19 says this, He served the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to Him through the plots of the Jews. And Acts 28 verses 30 through 31 tells us, Paul stood on the truth of God's word. Look at this. He lived there, talking about where he lived. He lived in a place for two years at his own expense. He welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul shares the good news of Jesus Christ boldly 
and without hindrance. He preached the kingdom of God. He taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. He was not afraid to tell others what God had done for him. Paul spent all of his days from conversion to martyrdom working tirelessly for the kingdom of God. Some of my favorite stories about Paul are as he's getting ready to be beaten by the Romans and he goes, hey, by the way, he's all strapped up. They're going to they're gonna discipline him for preaching about Jesus. And he says to the guy that's about to whip him, I'm a Roman. And the dude's like, what? I bought my Roman citizenship and Paul is strapped down. He goes, I was born into being a Roman citizen. And then they were all like, oh my. He didn't make a big scene about it. He let them take him all the way up to this point, And then he really had their undivided attention. He was not afraid to tell others what God had done for him. And the last thing we learn about Paul is this. And this is the one that's probably the hardest for some reason. Anyone can surrender completely to God. If Saul of Tarsus can surrender completely to God, anyone can. You have to have a desire. And once he did, he was fully committed to God. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 12-14, through Paul wrote from prison, and this is what he wrote to the Philippian church. He said, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the Gospel. He's in jail! It happened to advance the Gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul was willing to share Jesus Christ with everybody. Despite his circumstances, he praised God and he continually shared the good news. Through his hardships, through his suffering, Paul knew the outcome of a life well lived for Christ. He had surrendered his life fully, trusting God for everything. In Philippians 1.21, he wrote this, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he wasn't just giving lip service. He meant every word of that. I love reading about the Apostle Paul. I loved reading some of the historical stuff. I love reading about him in the book of Acts and reading the letters that he wrote. By the way, the word apostle means sent one. Paul was on a mission from God. And it's because of Christ, the anointed one's promises, that he embraced that calling. He embraced that mission. God called him and gifted him to do his work and to share his message. When you read about the things that he endured, the, how many times he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was deserted. He, we think about Paul and we think, oh, God gave him the gift to heal people. <laughs> God gave him the gift to survive. Some horrible things. He was bitten by a poisonous snake. He took it off and threw it in the fire. And he didn't die. It's crazy. But he had everyone's attention. And you know what he did? He shared Jesus with those people. Here's the thing. God has called each one of us to do His work. You're on a mission from God. And He's not called you to do something that He won't equip you for. You don't need cosmic powers. You need a willing heart. You need to be settled in your mind that you're going to serve God. That you're willing to tell everyone you know about Jesus. He may be equipping you right now. 
just to survive. He may just be giving you the strength you need to hold on to where you are long enough so that at the end of whatever it is you're going through, you can glorify God. I often think that no matter what we're going through, it it can't be worse than being literally shipwrecked or imprisoned or beaten. I think sometimes though we get too possessive of things. We get too possessive of ourselves. We get too possessive of our families and our jobs and the church building and we forget that we are are called to enlarge the kingdom of God. We all want our kids to do great things, but when they go, hey, I think I want to go to Bible college, we're like, well, don't do that. There's no money in it. Wait a minute. Everything Paul needed was provided. And we look at these things as our own. Our kids, our jobs, our families, the church. They're not our own. And I think when we look at those things as our own and not God's first, that it'll cause us to stumble. And we think as Christians that our lives, our families, our kids are our own. That the church is our own. Paul knew what we should know and embrace And that was that it's all Christ's first. And from that day of his transition on that road, that 150 mile journey, he knew his life was no longer his own. He knew that everything he would ever gain was not his, but Christ's first. And that's why he was able to say, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Jesus is our leader. Jesus is our guide. It's by his spirit that we have the discernment necessary to do what he has appointed us to do. If we believe that God's Word is truth, if we follow Christ, the truth of His Word should be our biggest influence and our only foundation. And like Saul, I think we have all, at some point in our lives, lived out misdirected zealousness. And because of Paul and others like him, every one of us has the truth of God's Word. If you've got the Bible in any form, you've got the truth of God's Word in your possession. And if we find the good news that God loved us enough to send His Son to die for us, even when we were persecuting Him with our sin. You see, I think that we're more like Saul than we want to admit, and we're less like Paul than we should be, even as Christians. But today, as I close out this series on truth, I want to tell you one final truth. The God of creation is crazy about you. Now, He may be asking you, Why are you persecuting me? He may be asking you, Christian, why have you given up your first love? Brothers and sisters, it's time for us to embrace the truth of God's Word. The only way that our world will see a reflection of Christ is if we embrace the truth of God's Word and we're willing to go and share that with someone else. And if you need to start off embracing His truth by being baptized this morning for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The baptistry is ready. i got a change of clothes in the office. We can make that happen. If you need to embrace the truth of God's Word, Christian, by returning to your first love, come up here and confess that. We don't even know what you did. Just say, hey, I need to come back to my first love. The elders are here. They would love to pray with you. And before I close out, I want to tell you what I know of truth. I don't know about you, but when I read the truth of God's Word and when I look at my life, when I look at the things that I've done, when I look back to the days when I was like Saul and I compare my past to my present and I compare my present to my future and I look at the truth of God's Word, you know what I see in there? 
I see amazing grace. When I read those words, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I don't know what you see when you read the truth of God's word, but that's what I see. Will you stand and sing with us our response song this morning? And respond to the truth as we sing. I think that was a perfect song to close out our series on truth. Um, I got a few more things to tell you, but next week, and I told you earlier this month, we're in a four-month series called TGIF, and we're talking about truth, godliness, influence, and finishing. Next Sunday, we're kicking off godliness, and I'm telling you, you don't want to miss it. It's going to be impressive what you hear. But it's been great to be here with all of you this morning. It's been great to worship with you, to share with you, hopefully to challenge you from the truth of God's Word. But now it's time for us to be like Paul and remember that we are on a mission from God, a mission to go into our community and win others into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We're on a mission to commit to grow in His Word so that we can indeed be a reflection of our Savior in our homes, in our jobs, in our community, and in our world, which were all His first. So as you go this morning, go to win and commit to grow. Will you sing this last song with us?